0: Good evening. (laughs) Welcome to our center point teaching time. This evening we're continuing our study of the book of Ezra, and we come to Ezra chapter two. In, In the Bible I have, Ezra chapter two says, is entitled... This is not in the original scriptures, but the editors of the ESV Bible have entitled it, The Exile's Return. And this is one of those chapters that if you're in your own private devotions, you might have a great temptation to pass over. There are names and names and more names, 125 about Hebrew names, so strap yourself in, and it will be entertaining as I work my way through these 125 names. I contemplated, well, you know, maybe we should just kind of not read all the names, and then it really hit me, you know, God has given us his word, the names are there, they're inspired by God Almighty himself for our good, and so if if I skip over the names, well. What would that say about our view of scripture? And so we're going to look and read with God's help. uh, And I'm going to go perhaps rapid fire through some of these names uh, as we go through Ezra chapter two. But we don't want to skip over this because God has important lessons for our lives. So let's pray and then we'll look at Ezra two. Our father and our God, we praise you that you are a God of promise that you keep your word and your promises, your word comes to pass. And we thank you even for this passage of the scriptures from Ezra 2 that may seem very foreign to us in so many respects. Help us to understand the spiritual purposes and lessons, not only for the people of Ezra's day, but for our day and for each of our own lives. We look to you, we ask for help, even uh, I ask for help in trying to make my way through reading all of these Hebrew names, but we desire to glorify, to honor you. And we give you thanks, we rejoice in you, in Christ our Savior's name, amen. Okay, the word of our God from Ezra chapter two, and I believe there are sheets on the table or I know they're on the table to my left as well. Now these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. And they came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Saraiah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bishon, Misfar, Bigvi, Rahum, and Ben- Benani. the number of the men of the people of Israel, the sons of Parosh, 2,172, the sons of Shephatiah, 372, the sons of Ara, 775, the sons of pa- Pehath-Moab, namely the sons of Jeshua and Joab, 2,812, the sons of Elam, 1,254, the sons of Zattu 945, the sons of Zekai, 760, the sons of Bani, 642, the sons of Bibai, 623, the sons of Azad, 1,222. The sons of Adonachim, Adon- 666. The sons of Bigvi, 2,058, 56. The sons of Aden, 454. The sons of Ater, namely of Hezekiah, 98. The sons of Bazai 323. The sons of Jorah, one thousand one hundred and twelve the sons of Hashum two hundred and twenty three, the sons of Gibbar ninety five, the sons of Bethlehem one hundred and twenty three. The men of No fifty six the men of Anatoph, one hundred and twenty eight, the sons of Asma forty two, the sons of Kiriath-Arim, cheriph and Beroth, 743. The sons of Ramah and Geba, Geba 621. The men of Mikmas 122. The men of Bethel and Ai, 223. The sons of Nebo, 52. The sons of Magdish, Bish 156, the sons of the other Elam 1,254, the sons of Harim 320, the sons of Lod, Hadid and Ono 725, the sons of Jericho 345, the sons of Sayaniah 3,630 the priest the sons of jedidiah of the house of jeshua 973 the sons of emir 1052 the sons of Pashur 1247 the sons of harim 1017 the levites the sons of jeshua and katamel the sons of hodaviah 74 the singers the sons of Asaph, hundred and twenty-eight. The sons of the gatekeepers. The sons of Shalum. The sons of Ater. The sons of Talmon. The sons of Akkub. The sons of Hatita. The sons. The sons of Shobai, and all hundred and thirty-nine. The temple servants. The sons of Ziha, The sons of Hashu. The sons of Tabaoth, the sons of Keras, the sons of Sahaha, the sons of Padan, the sons of Labanah, the sons of Haaba, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hagab, the sons of Hamlai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Gahar, the sons of Ra'ahiah, the sons of Rezin, the sons of Nakoda, the sons of Gazam, the sons of Uzah, the sons of Peseah, the sons of Bisai, the sons of Asna, the sons of Meunim, the sons of Nephissim, the sons of Babuk, the sons of the sons of Hakufa, the sons of Harhur, the sons of Bazul, Balula, the sons of Mahida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barkas, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tima, the sons of Nezaiah, the sons of the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Hasopharith, the sons of Peruda, the sons of Ja'ala, the sons of Dachron, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Sephatiah, the sons of Hatil, the sons of this the Hasbaim, the sons of Ami. All the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were three hundred and ninety-two. The following were those who came up from Tel Melja, Tel Harsha, Chehrub, Adin, Amir, and Amir though they could not prove their father's houses or their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nakoda, 652. Also, the sons of the priests, the sons of Habiah, the sons of Hakkaz, and the sons of Barzilai, who had taken a wife from the daughters of Bazarali the Giladite and was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there, and so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until there should be a priest to consult Urim and Thunum the whole assembly together was 42,360. Besides their male and female servants of whom there were 7,337 and they had 200 male and female singers. Their horses were 736. Their mules were 245. Their camels were 435. And their donkeys were 6,720. Some of the heads of families, when they came to the house of the Lord, that is in Jerusalem, made free will offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 darics of gold. Five thousand minas of silver and one hundred priests' garments. Now, the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived in their towns, and all the rest of Israel in their towns. <laughs> names names and more names approximately 125 representing just families a much larger uh, many would prefer to skip chapter 2 and go on to chapter 3 in reading the book of Ezra and this list is very similar to a list that that Nehemiah provides in his accounting of the exiles in Nehemiah chapter 7 Why are the names here? The names are here to prove that the returning exiles were legitimate descendants of the Jews, that they occupied the land before the deportation. They were here also that their later relatives might look and find their name listed here, just as perhaps we, as we meet with our families, talk about family ancestry and history and may find great joy in finding a family name listed somewhere or on a monument or something like that. But why are the names here in a more significant way is because the faithfulness of God to his covenant. God makes promises. He keeps the promises that he makes. He made promises to the people of God and he delivers on those promises. Literally, he delivered the people uh, as prophesied in the word of God by the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah many, many years before the exile and before even the people of God were taken into Babylon. And we find These words of promise come to fulfillment as the exiles in three ways make their way back to the land of promise. In 538 BC, the Persian king Cyrus issued a decree permitting the people of God to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And this decree is an earlier fulfillment Of the promise of God of return to captivity. You see, God always keeps his word. It didn't take as long to read the passage as I thought, so that gives me a couple minutes to look at some things related to this. God had promised his people that if they were faithful to him, if they lived in covenant friendship and fellowship, if they considered his laws, and ordered their lives by it that they truly would be blessed, that they would know his presence, and they might know the marvelous blessings of the Lord himself. And the book of Deuteronomy lays out these promises of blessing if the people follow covenant with covenant faithfulness to the Lord. But the book of Deuteronomy also lays out some of what would happen to them if they turned from God, if they turned away from God, if they went their own way and delighted in the things of this world more than in the Lord. And particularly in in Deuteronomy chapter 8 are many, many references. Let me just read a few that speak of a word of promise if the people disobey. Your sons and your daughters, verse 32, shall be given to another people. In verse 33, we read, a nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and of your labors. In verse 36, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. In verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like an eagle. The nation whose language you do not understand. 52, they shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all your land And one final verse, verse 64. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. The people chose to not walk in fellowship And covenant faithfulness with the Lord. And the result, the consequence of that, is that they were expelled from the land of promise and the blessings of God's provision and protection in that land. And they were deported. Uh, uh, The northern nation first was uh, dispersed. And then the southern nation of Judah was uh, deported to Babylon. The word of God also promises that God would deliver his people from this land. I'm just going to read two verses from Jeremiah. Isaiah makes reference to this as well, but Jeremiah is what the prophet Daniel was particularly reading when he was in Babylon and realized these promises that God had made that were about to come to a fulfillment from Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste and those nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And then a few chapters later in Jeremiah 29 and in verse 10, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Well, God kept his word. Though the people were not necessarily worthy to return, there were those that had the heart, as we heard last week from Ezra 1, that God stirred up in their spirits. Uh, A resolve to return and to rebuild the temple of Almighty God. Well, as we think about Ezra chapter 2, these names, each of them, are very important in redemptive history. Instead of looking at them individually, someone asked me if we would kind of go through each name and what the name means. We're going to pass on that tonight. Um, But I want to look at categories. In verses 1 and 2, we learn of Jewish leaders, including Joshua the high priest. Twelve leaders are mentioned, which is really interesting. Uh, Twelve leaders, there are twelve tribes of Israel, uh, even twelve apostles in the New Testament. We also learn of the category of those who were priests, in verses 36 through 39, these priests who were descendants of Aaron. And then in verses 40 to 42, we learn about the Levites. They were of the same tribe, but they were not descendants of Aaron. And some of them, as we learn in verse 41, were singers, and others were gatekeepers. In verse 42. And then there were those that could not find their family records. Imagine traveling a distance by the crow of 500 miles, but going by the rivers the way they tended to travel, 1,500 miles. And there they find that their names are not found in any records. And then we have the category in verses 43 to 54 of temple servants, those who served and helped in the temple. And then in verses 55 to 58, descendants of the servants of Solomon who were not Jews. So we have various categories and we have numbers. Hang in there with me for another minute or two and we'll get to some very practical application. But let's consider the numbers. We learn in chapter 2, verse 2 through verse 35, that there were 24,144 men. We learn in verses 36 to 39 that there were 4,289 priests. And there were Levites and servants at number 733 in verses 40 to 58. And there were 652 who did not Discover their family records. And this brings the total to 29,818. But when we read in verse 64, there is reference to a much larger number, 42,360, which includes the women, most likely, and the children. We're not forgotten in this count. You add to that the servants, the men servants, the maid servants of 7,337. You add the 200 men and women singers for a grand total of 49,897 people who made the journey from Babylon to Judah. God has not forgotten one person. He even preserves the registry of their names. A little over 49,000 people may seem like a great host of people. But compared to the number that remained, it was a very small remnant But the Bible teaches that God does not despise a day of small things. That he uses that which is weak, that which is despised by this world to accomplish his purposes. Uh, What are the spiritual lessons for for us tonight in our final minutes from Ezra chapter 2? There are three lessons that stand out to me. The first is service, service for the Lord. We learn that there are a variety of areas of service. There were priests, there were also Levites, there were also singers, there were gatekeepers, there were temple servants. Each and every person had a job to do for the smooth running of the temple. It's really striking this image of temple is used throughout the Bible even we find in the New Testament of Christ people of the church of we who have come to our living stone Jesus Christ we have been made into living stones we're part of a spiritual temple of his church each stone with its unique shape and contours are are brought together by our head and king, Jesus. We each have been given different gifts that we might serve our God. The Lord has given each one of us at least one spiritual gift that can be used for his service, for the building up of the body. There's a sense here that service is a privilege with these ones. They were ready to return to use their gifts, to use the calling of God in their lives for the worship and praise of God Almighty. And what a privilege for us to serve our Lord and gospel, to make his word known, to be willing to go across the street or across the globe for his glory, for his honor, for the advance of his kingdom. And as I think about service here there is service for all, for Hebrews, for non-Hebrews, regardless of one's uh, social or racial background. Uh, it, it, we read that the priests were priests that had a, a particular ancestral heritage in the old covenant, but in the new covenant, as we come to know Jesus, each of us are are given a priestly ministry. It doesn't belong to the elite or to a particular ancestry. All are called for gifts of service for the glory of our Savior. Service. The second word is holiness. We read in 59 through 62 that there were some priests who were unsure of their family roots. And Zerubbabel barred them from eating the sacrificial meal, look at verse 63 there, until things were clarified and determined. God has certain standards of holiness. He has instructed us how to live. And as his people, we want to be willing in his day of glory to honor him. And honor him in a way that acknowledges his standards. Um, our God, close to almost 3,000 years later, is unchanged. He still has holy standards for us, though we're not saved by our works. He redeems us and gives us, he changes us by his gospel, a faith changes us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so we are to be growing in true holiness. And then my third point. So it's service, it's holiness, and then thirdly, it's giving. They gave gifts to God's house. Uh, Verses 68 and 69. In verse 69, it speaks of the Persian Derek uh, 1,100 pounds of gold. That's a lot of gold. The minas that are spoken of there were two and four fifth tons. That's a weighty amount. But what do we learn about their giving? It was prompt, they gave as soon as they arrived for the rebuilding of God's house. Even before, as we see in verse 68, before the building of their own homes, which is a theme that will be developed later in the book, they gave promptly, they gave spontaneously. It was a free will offering. There was no stewardship sermon. There was no stewardship lecture. It was out of their love and commitment to the Lord. And really, isn't that how it is to be in Christ's church? for us to cheerfully give, to willingly give out of a love for Christ and appreciation of who he is. It's a giving of time. It's a giving of money. It's a giving of talent that is spoken of in this section. Their giving was not only spontaneous, it was thoughtful. It was each giving according to their own ability In verse 69, the rich according to their riches, the poor according to their poverty. Think of the widow who gave her two mites and how significant that gift was to the Lord Jesus. We're called to give, to give our all to him. Their goal is that the temple would be rebuilt that God might be worshiped in the restored land. And really this challenges me with the priority of worship. How important is worship to you? How important is it to us as a church family? True worship is counter-cultural. Our own senior pastor, Derek Thomas, writes, they determine that the world should be shown the door and that true biblical worship be restored. Well, in our day, we're to maintain, we're to cherish that time we gather in worship of the Lord. that that is the highlight, the priority of our lives and of our week. How important is it to worship the God as he has designed us to worship? What sacrifices are we and are you willing to make that, to ensure a biblical implementation of genuine worship in spirit and truth according to the Lord's word? These people gave themselves for the worship of Almighty God that it might be restored. May we so cherish worshiping Him that it would be the delight, the thrill of our lives as well. Let's spend a few minutes bringing our worship and praise to God now for who He is, His character, His holiness, His grace, His provision. Let's just, uh, together as a family, as a body of the Lord Jesus, let's just pray from our tables as one, one room, one body, to our Savior and God, bringing our thankful and joyful praise to Him. Let us praise Him now.